Well, welcome. Glad to see you. This video describes a really desperate situation, doesn't it? Desperate. Lives of people hanging in the balance as these flames we'll see later, uh, threatening their very lives. And you know, at Easter time, uh, we have lots of things that sort of masquerade the fact that there's lives hanging in the balance uh, for Easter and why it came. Uh, I saw plenty of pastels as I look around. I saw a pink pants come in. Chad, you're styling. Um, we have eggs that we decorate and candy we hide. And we have all these fun things that go with Easter. And yet I wonder if it masquerades and sort of covers up the fact that Easter had to happen because of the very darkest things in our own hearts. The darkest things of humanity had to be dealt with at Easter. You know, I ask people all the time, especially this time of year, um, you know, what are you doing for Easter? And they tell me, and I say, well, what does Easter mean to you? And uh, people talk to me all the time about seeing family and dressing up and hanging out and traditions that they do, uh, Easter egg hunts, and even going to church. And all that is great and good, but in all that, are we missing out on what Easter really is all about? I don't want us to miss that this year. And so we're going to tell the, Chris, the Christmas, the Easter story, the Easter narrative, the accounts of what happened historically, but we're not going to jump to the end in the fun part. We're going to back up and tell the whole thing. And it's kind of like when you hear a joke and you've already heard the joke, uh, you, you may not be that interested in the joke and it's not funny to you. If you've heard the Easter account in all of its fullness before, I'm going to ask you that you lock on and appreciate it anew. And pray that those around you, that this is new to them, that they would receive the message that's found in this story. And like a joke that you've heard before, uh, if you hear just the punchline and you never heard the whole story and the whole setup for the punchline, the punchline sort of loses its meaning, doesn't it? I think what happens sometimes at Easter is we hear the punchline, the ending, the good part, like mama's homemade uh, apple pie. And we forgot to get the meal in first. So we're going we're gonna to look at this story, and, and the story starts at a very dark place. There's a deficit. There's a, there's a hopelessness that comes in this story. Because Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, when we pick up this story, he's in a very dark place, and it gets darker. And, and as he is losing, hope gets lost with him. Look what happens in this account. It says, first of all, that hope is lost as, as Jesus was betrayed. He had 12 of the closest friends. One of them sells out for money and, and sells him out so that he could get money. And he turns Jesus into the authorities. 10 others scatter. The moment they come to arrest him, they're gone. And the one friend that follows, Peter, he gets called out as being one of Jesus's friends. And he says this, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know this man. The only friend in sight is cussing up a storm. I swear to you, I have nothing to do with this Jesus. Hope was lost as Jesus was tortured. The Jewish leaders of the day, the respected pillars of their society, it says this about them. It says, then they spit in his face. 
and struck him with their fists, and others slapped him. These distinguished men of renown acting like third-grade bullies to Jesus, trying to humiliate them in their midst. Then they turned them over, Jesus over to the Roman soldiers. And it says this, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. Then they put a staff in his right hand and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then he was brought before Pilate, the ruler of that region. And it says that he had Jesus flogged. Now, this whip that they used is called a phalagium, and it had up to nine different cords of leather. And those cords had bits of bone and metal that had one purpose, and that was to grab the backside of someone's flesh and to rip it apart. And 39 times Jesus was whipped. Sometimes this, this treatment would cause death. The mentality of the Roman soldiers who did this was like a mob mentality. Picture yourself as an American getting captured by ISIS. And the treatment, the torture, and, and the pain that they would cause, that's exactly what happened to the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. And then all hope was lost as Jesus was murdered. He was murdered. It says, the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic means uh, Golgotha. There they crucified him. Jesus was handed over to professional killers who knew just the right place in his wrist and in his legs to drive the spikes to cause the most possible pain for him. And when he was on that cross, he found himself utterly alone. It says this, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lemma, Samathani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Heavenly Father who Jesus had always been in communion with from eternity past, had broken fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, and turned his back on his son. And Jesus hangs upon a cross completely and utterly alone. And there he was left to die. He would have had to pull the weight of his body up off the, the nails in his arms and in his legs, trying to exhale every single breath. It was scraping the back, the raw back from the whipping on that cross and fighting off the effects of, of what would kill someone on a cross, hypobolemic shock, asphyxiation, heart failure, or dehydration. And after a long time of suffering, it says, with a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last. His body grew limp. He died. The hope of the world, the Savior that was to come, the Messiah that was promised, the one, the God made flesh, had come and he had, he had died. And seemingly hope died with him. It 
you know, if this was a baseball game, I mean, it was bottom of the ninth, two outs, nobody on, down by a dozen or more runs. It's looking bleak. If this was a football game, it would be the Super Bowl and you're down 28 to three in the third quarter. Does that ring a bell? Is that a little too soon? <laughs> kind of hurt to say it. Kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. If this was a mortgage, man, you're, you're getting eviction notices, you're months behind, you have no money and no job, and the, and the writing is on the wall. If this was a marriage, it would have been, you're at each other's throats, the divorce papers have been sent to you, and the pen is in hand, ready to make it official. Seemingly, all hope is lost. And then, then God does the impossible. God does what nobody else saw coming. God does the impossible. And when things are at their worst, this is true in your life and in my life. This is true as the Savior of the world at Easter. When all hope was lost and things were at his worst, that's when God shows up and he does his very best work. And this story, this narrative that Jesus uh, leads us through is really a story of a comeback, of God saving the day. And it starts with a sound. It's a sound of stone scraping on stone in this quiet, remote uh, garden tomb. A large stone starts getting pushed against the pull of, of gravity and gets pushed out of the way of the opening of the tomb. And the Roman soldiers that are staring, standing there gets the junk scared out of them. They are freaking out. We'll see that in a second. And the women that had come to put spices and to bury Jesus properly, it says this. It says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone that was very large had been rolled away. Hope gets restored in that moment. And hope gets restored as we see evil trembling with fear. It says this, There was a violent earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men, these professional killers, frozen in fear. Guys, this is the first glimpse of the victory that is found in Jesus Christ. When this stone starts to move away, it is symbolic and it's a reality of the victory that Jesus purchases through his death, burial, and resurrection. There's a figure in the Old Testament named Samson. He was God's man. He was God's deliverer for his day. And he was fighting against the Philistines and they surrounded him in a city. And they had all the exits blocked and all the gates were locked. And Samson goes to one of those gates, he grabs it, he lifts it out of the ground and tosses it aside and he walks free. Guys, can I tell you, a gate in the scriptures always represents power and always represents uh, uh, strength. And this stone that covered the tomb that held Jesus in death was a gate to death. And when Jesus Christ and that stone started to move and God moved the stone, it is as if Jesus reached the very gate of death and the gate of hell and he rips it out of its place and he tosses it aside and he brings life and hope to all who know him. Jesus 
in that moment defeated death. And by faith, those who know him also have defeat and uh, have victory over death as well. See, the darkness that tries to tempt you, the evil that would try to ruin you, the enemy that wants to destroy you, they all tremble in fear at the name of Jesus because when that stone began to roll away, the victory was certain and sure and his victory was complete over all the forces of darkness and his, and his victory was sure for you and I by faith in Christ. Then it gets better. The body goes missing. The stones rolled away and the body's not there. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. He wasn't there. But he wasn't gone and missing in the sense that no one knew where he was. He was exactly where he was supposed to be. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. See, it was impossible for death to hold Jesus, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, the author of life, Jesus Christ. When death tried to get a grip on him, it couldn't hold him. And he broke its grip and he offered us life through his life. One day, he's going to destroy death. Death itself will be thrown into a lake of fire, and there will be no more death because Jesus is the conqueror of death. And one day, that victory will be final. He even said he was going to do this. He said he's not here. Just like he said he would rise, he's risen. See, this comeback was never in doubt. There was never any doubt that this was going to happen. See, before you were born and before the beginning of the world, God had a plan. And God's plan was to come and rescue you and I from our sin. That he loved you and I so much that he knew he would send his son to a cross, bear the weight of our sin and shame. And if this doesn't happen, you got to understand, you and I are still in our sins. You and I are still separated for our loving Father. The God who made us and wants a relationship with us, if this doesn't happen, then everything else on the planet is for naught because we have no means to find a relationship with God. But then Jesus turns up missing. He defeats death. He overcomes the grave. He pushes back the stone. He he rips out the gate of death. And now he offers life. Then to top it all off, Jesus appeared. There's several instances in the scriptures Jesus appeared. He appeared to more than 500 people at one time, the scripture says. But here's one example. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said, peace be with you. It freaked them out. They said they were startled and and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. The holes that had been driven through the nails were still there. He said, look for yourself. 
I'm here in the flesh. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an aberration. I'm not wishful thinking. I'm not hopes. I am the reality of the risen Savior in an imperishable body. And the only evidence that he lived on this earth was that there's holes in his hands and his feet. And he has those holes because he was willing to pay a price for you and I. And so they touched him. They didn't concoct a story and we're we're being suckered into believing something. They lived the rest of their lives and they died believing that what they saw was the risen son of God, not perishable, not weak, but in power and imperishable. The one that can offer life to all who call on his name. God has never asked you to believe something weak. God would never ask you to believe a myth. God would never ask you to take a blind leap of faith. He says, look at what has happened in history. I came, I lived, I died, and I rose from the dead. You add all that up. The stone moves. Death is defeated. Jesus rises. He appears to many. Add all that up. And what that means is our faith is on something solid and sure. That there's no other name by which uh, we can be saved. And it's the name of Jesus Christ who gives utter and complete and total victory. Not just one day, but today. To all who call on his name. You know, we shared a video at the beginning of this message. And we showed a a desperate situation. I want to introduce our own uh, Captain Jackie Peckrell from the video. Give her a hand, will you? There was a victory in this dark moment. We get to hear the story of victory and how God saved the day, right? Let's see it. I never realized what I was asking for and what was going on. He had the ladder up to the balcony in about 45 seconds. Um, I call him Great Big. He's huge and strong and awesome. And he stood there and held that ladder almost completely vertical. Well, um, we were making rescues. So um, I had me and my tailboard start putting on our gear. Um, Captain Carter went up and he got uh, twin baby number one down. Um, I was masking up to get up there on the balcony to hand people off to my tailboard so we can get them up and down this ladder because, like I said, it's completely vertical. I'm worried about anybody staying on it. Um, the balcony is, the, the bottom of the balcony was probably 23 feet, um, so it's not even reaching the railing of the balcony. Um, so I start going up the ladder and I get about halfway up and I look up at the family and at that point, I see blue falling towards me, and um, it's a baby. <laughs> so I knew, I knew what was coming, but um, I just start praying at that moment, Lord, let me catch this baby, because I've got an air pack on my back, and as soon as I take my hands off the ladder, I feel it pulling me backwards, and I just, everything, all the laws of gravity said I should have fallen flat on my back with this child. But um, God's hands were there. I mean, there's no other way to describe it, but his hands were on me, and I was able to catch this baby and bring him to safety. Um, Then I immediately went back up, and 
got another child in my arms and had my arms wrapped around the mother and she had her arms wrapped around another child and like I said we are at a straight up and down angle and my arms are stretched to the limit just to hold them on the ladder um, coming down and um, they finally got a, a bigger ladder set up and they were able to get a couple more people down that ladder um, and I go I start to go up to get the last child and flames are just really overtaking the, the porch and I know by how hot I am and the fire raining down on me that they're reaching their limit. They're burning at this point and um, I didn't know at the time who was there but Engine 7 had arrived and Captain Stroop just comes running up there and I hear just drop him and I kind of at the moment looked at him like he was crazy <laughs> and look up at the father and he threw the child and he made an amazing catch. Been in this business for 16 years and that was the fire of a lifetime. It was like walking into hell and you know God pulled us through and pulled all those families through. Give God praise for that, right? Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thank you. When things are at their darkest, that's when God does his best work. When Jesus broke out of the tomb full of life, that was complete victory. God had triumphed over evil. But more than that, it's a personal thing. When the life of Christ that he has is given to you, then the, the victory that you have in your life is you have victory over the sins that plague you. And when Christ steps into your life, you have victory over death. You don't fear the grave any longer because you know you have his life. Colossians 2 says, when you are dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Yes, that's the, that's the condition of every person apart from Christ. We were dead in our sins and our heart was hard towards God. Then God did something. He intervened through the cross and through a resurrection that God made you alive with Christ. That he's willing to forgive all your sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The Father has longed for relationship with you and I. And the sin that stands between us and him, it alienates from him. And Jesus paid for every one of those sins on the cross. And by faith in him, those sins no longer have rule over you and you can come running to the Father. Through the life of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, the death that we should pay, he's already paid on our behalf. And he offers his life to every single person. See, the only territory God hasn't won victory in. He went to hell and he defeated hell. 
He stood before death and he conquered death. He took on all of our sin and he paid for our sin. He has won a complete victory. And everywhere you look across the universe, except one place, it's the one place he doesn't. And it is the place that Jesus hasn't entered. Every single person on this planet has a choice. Every single person in this room has an opportunity to say yes to the forgiveness and love and mercy and life that Jesus offers. But he doesn't force it on you and I. He makes an invitation. He says, will you take what I offer you? It's a choice every single one of us must make. And that is to invite the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Savior of the world, to become your Savior. And, and to, that's the choice today. Ephesians 3 says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God doesn't want to be out there somewhere. God wants to be in here. And so can I ask you, if you have the victory in the life of Jesus living inside of you, then you are in Christ and you've received his forgiveness and his love. You have his life that will take you through eternal life in you. But if you don't have his life in you, then you are in need of rescue. You're in more serious shape than you ever imagined. And the flames from a balcony fire would be licking at your very life. And your life hangs in the balance. And the only thing keeping you from eternity is a cluster of muscles pushing blood to your brain and your organs. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. And the moment that organ stops beating, it's over. And eternity is set for you forever. So if, if Christ is alive in you and that moment comes, then you rise to life with him and enjoy a relationship with God for eternity. But if that moment comes, you don't rise to life but to death. Jesus himself possesses eternal life and he offers it as a free gift to all who would call on his name. The scripture says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So today, the choice that is before you is to receive Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. I wanna ask you to make that decision today. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's the decision between life and death. I'm going to ask everyone if you'll bow your heads and, and pray with me. This is, a, this is a holy moment as God is speaking to hearts around this place. There's lives that are hanging in the balance today. And what you need to hear, if you don't have the life of Christ in you, he's dying to come in. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. He wants to forgive you and offer you life if you'll receive him as the reigning Lord of your life. And so if that's your need today and you're ready to call on the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand that you would pray with me this prayer. Raise your hands right now. We're not gonna embarrass you. We're not gonna call you out. We're going to pray with you right now. If you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, you raise your hand.
Praise God, I see you, I see you, I see you. Pray with me, say, God, I long for you. I wanna be in relationship with you. And I believe Jesus died for me. I believe that the price he paid on the cross counts for me. As I invite Jesus, you into my life, forgive me of all my sin. Restore me to my heavenly father and give me the life that you have, that you possess and that you freely give. I receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen.